think parents probably have seen how challenging it, challenging it is to be a teacher. Yes. And just thinking, you're home with one of two. I had 30, 35 kids in my class at one time. And, and I, we're talking I, about I don't understand having to teach multiple personalities. And that's the thing that now teachers, not like I think about Miss Reigns and everybody going to sit in it, but now teachers are expected to differentiate, which means they want us teaching every learning style, which that we should, mm-hmm. but that gets a lot of work. So, but I got 35 people. <laughs> it's almost got, like oh, impossible. I got 35 people, but I only got 28 deaths. My name is Lynette Caldwell. Hello, and I am your host and creator of Her Real Life, the podcast about her, you, and me. The sounds you will experience are collections of my unfiltered thoughts, conversations, and views from people I've encountered, or other cool people will all want to know a little bit better. This is basically my way of showing how we as women live in very similar lives and have very similar experiences, spoken and unspoken. We just live those lives in different hoods, on different streets. What you are about to hear is her real life. So today, my guest for the people is one of my favorite people. Literally, um, I've known this person all her life. I've known this person. We were in each other's weddings. Um, We have gone to clubs together. We have gone to church (laughs) together. We were on the junior usher board together. We have sang together together. Um, we have lived life together. So this, I am so excited and proud. And like, I wish I could explain how I feel inside right now to introduce you to, I call her my baby cousin, because she is the baby cousin. But her name is Cassandra R. Farley Martin. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Hello, hello, family. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. You almost made me cry. Like this is Aww. like this is a really good moment. It really is because I'm proud of you. And, and you know, it's just I guess thinking and reflecting on just you have known me all my life, and we've experienced a lot of life together. And even you know, the distance now as we've gotten older. You went to college. I went to college, and you know, you feel there's been time gaps with our connection, but still. Like this is really a, a very proud and mom- moment for me, and I'm just I'm just grateful and proud of you, and just just glad to be a part of this this project. Thank you. I mean, I honestly, when I think about everything that we've done, like I remember us being itty bitty, like little, yeah. And then I remember us being in elementary, middle school, high school together, and then even after high school, we still like hung out a little bit. And then, like yep. you said, time kind of hit. We got back together and then but we've never like been apart. So when I think about what we're about to talk about today and all the accomplishments that you and I both I'm talking about not just, oh, yes, we're married and we have education and we have children and beautiful families and all the things that we've done. I'm talking about historical accomplishments we've made personally right. for us and for our not our um, immediate families we have right now, but like our moms and dads and grandparents. Yep. Like we, as two individual children coming from a a family, have made some historical moves in our lives. Yeah. Yep. So it just makes me. I'm so excited to share your your information, your news, everything about you because I always. I mean, I've said this a couple times since we've been talking. I'm not shocked. You know, like what we come from, who we come from. Right. We were taught how to be the best with everything that we do, say, see, hear. And like that, that makes a difference. 
It really does. There's something to be said about that because, you know, it, it really is something that we were taught and it was ingrained in us just to be the best you can be. And I, I think often people underestimate the ability to just pour that confidence into your child. Yeah. But like when my parents told me I could do anything or be anything, I really believed it. And yeah. I think a part of that love came along with that and then their support. So too often we underestimate how powerful just that in itself really was because both your parents and mine they did we y'all can do whatever you can do whatever I know you were told that and I know I was told that so so many that, times. that that is how I'm here it really is that yeah. is the beginning yeah and and no matter what we have like the obstacles we've ran into like I legit I was I went to pick up something this is a squirrel moment but this is how deep our family was I went to pick up something one of my friends from back home you know Mindy Mindy Fulbright mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mindy Lankford now. Mindy, yeah. she and I are still friends. She sent me a flower up to the local flower shop here, a plant. She sent a plant like, and they called me and said, we have a gift for you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go up there. I don't know wh- who it's from. There was a card. And this is this shows you what kind of people that you and I have come from. So the lady at the, the flower shop here locally, she said, your friend was so sweet. And she talked about, your family. She talked about how she wanted to make sure whatever you got was really nice because she always remembers your daddy saying, you want the best. I want the best for you. I want whatever you do. I got, I, I want it to be the best. And she said, that just really touched my heart. And I was like, wow, because I didn't realize, you know, I knew, and I tell people now, my mom and daddy told me I could do anything. Like I believed I was like a superhero. There yeah. was nothing that I didn't think I could do. And so just like you said, that really there's power in that. Even if we messed up, that was never taken away from us to be like, well, you ain't going to be nothing. I've never heard that. Right. So whenever I heard them talking about my friend who then reiterated what she heard my parents tell me, like that rubbed off on her. And that's been over 37 years ago. Yeah. So it's major when you come from a foundation like we do. And I feel like we were bred for greatness just because if I, if we didn't have anything when I was little, I never knew it. Yeah. I say that, (laughs) you know, and and like, to be real, like I think about where we grew up, you know, I grew Mm -hmm. up down a dirt road in Bell, North Carolina Mm -hmm. on New Hope Church Road, Mm -hmm. in very rural North Carolina. And at the time that was, that was my community. That was my home. And I never looked at it as, not having or being less than anything else because we were so happy. Um, I I know I was so happy, you know, I had my parents and I love running up and down that dirt road, you know, yeah. And, you know, like, so I I guess now that I live in a city, you know, you don't see a lot of rural, I don't see a lot of dirt road driveways, you know, in Charlotte, but at the same time, it's just the reality of, wow, like, I guess that would be, it's a country and I'm a proud country girl, so Mm -hmm. that's not anything I'm ashamed of, but I guess just geographically, the difference, and we were not close to McDonald's, we Mm -mm. were not, that was going to McDonald's, like going to the the city, and it was so far. (laughs) Yes, it was at least, what, 20 minutes for us to get to, like, the city? But I told, I was just telling the kids the other day, I went, you remember, we used to go out to eat at Mama Pop's with Grandma and Pop Pop, like, once a week. All the time. Yes. And and then I would go out to eat with my mom and daddy. And so here, like people, like even now in 2021, people don't go out to eat. 
Like, uh, let's take away COVID. I'm just talking about before COVID, a lot of kids that my kids grow up with, like, they don't go to restaurants and sit down. And that was something we were doing in the 80s and the 90s once a week. Right. Like, that's... I'm a pops is huge. That's yes. a big And Sky City. <laughs> what about Sky City? Yeah, gosh. <laughs> Sky City. That was the Walmart yeah. before the Walmart. Yeah, it really was. Like, these are things Rose we did. There. Yes. Like we did Rose these things. No, it's like the last one in the ca- in the country, but it's still there because my mama yeah. still go. So these are the things that like I'm just sharing this with everybody. We're sharing this because these are the foundations that we have. That it yeah, and it it built us. Like we came from legit. It was called Hog Hill. Like we live not far from a farm, Sunny Hill Farm. Yeah, yeah, and didn't even realize that we were kind of like off the beaten path. Yeah. From everything, but we had everything. We had everything. Yeah, like there was nothing that we didn't have. We, our family was kind of like the family. Yeah, you know. So we had church. We had church. Yes. We had school, and we had just like our family, our community, because you know where everybody knew each other and was yeah. connected. So we grew up in this community, and you know it really was like just. It, wow. I, you know, I, I think about it sometimes because I'm so far from that now. I know. You know, like, it's just like, gosh, that really, how did I even, but, you know, still, so those humble beginnings are, are really what made me who I am. And I am, and so much growth has happened that still takes it all back to those humble beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Because those things, despite how humble they were, we were afforded the opportunities that many people didn't have because we still traveled. We played play ball yeah. and we, well, right. we went, we were like the only people um, that looked like us, the only black girls yeah, in a lot of different situations that came from a two parent home um, that your parents worked and you had what you needed. Like we didn't struggle for much. I, I don't feel like Nothing. I ever struggled we, for much. We actually, even though it was very humble, still, you know, in, in rule, we still, we, we, there are privileges that we had yeah. that I never considered privileges, but right. they absolutely are. And of course, for me and my lot of work, that is when I realized that because not until I became really an educator and got outside of that community um, and started traveling, mm-hmm. like I had never really seen homeless people like begging or asking for money when you stop at a stoplight. I had never really seen, we never saw that there because right. no matter how poor people were where we lived, everybody had a home, yeah. you know, like there was nobody that lived on the street. Everybody had a home. Um, everybody had food, yes. you know, like yes. and no, no one was wealthy, but still like real poverty. I really had never seen that until I became an adult and I was traveling outside of, of that environment. And, and until, like I said, I started teaching that I really realized how privileged my life was to have just a two parent household to never have to, I don't ever remember our lights being cut off. Right. I don't ever remember not having running water right. or having clean clothes. Like yeah. those things are privileges. And I know that now right. because I, I have taught kids who do not have those things. And they don't have a support system because I can guarantee if anybody in our family was hungry or didn't have something, they could ask somebody yep. in the family. And it wasn't yep. even a, they could be 
arguing well, the about church, something. The church would provide it. Yes. It was like no questions asked. Uh, you need something? Okay, I got it. A love offering, snap your finger. There was a love <laughs> offering. There's a plate going around at the church. We had that love offering there. You know what I'm saying? It got and the we job done. It, it got the job done. This is what we do. This is what we do for our community. So we're going to have an extra offering. It's going to be the love offering. <laughs> and it got the church, it, it they pay like. And guess what? The plate would be full. Lights would pay. So That's I'm right. just saying that, that is that is that is that is community. That is family. And that right now is kind of lacking. So mm. this is this is what I want you to explain to everybody after because, you know, we've we've kind of given a foundation of who we are, who you are. Explain to everybody what you're doing, what you've been doing and what you're about to expand on or expand to do. OK, so I guess twofold tell kind of give me, you know, Cassandra Martin. Um, I am from Bale, um, North Carolina, Hickory. Rural uh, beginnings, and um, I have been in education now. I went to Appalachian State University. Uh, that is where I met my husband, Deshaun Martin, and we will be married 17 years this June. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Four, I know, I know. 17 <laughs> um, years? We, yeah. Oh. I know. That makes me feel kind of older, but, like, you no, know. You were a baby when you got married. Yeah, because yeah. 2004, I was 22 or 23. You know, mm. my math ain't that great, but it was <laughs> one of them. You were um, still a baby. Young, very young, mm-hmm. and had not even actually graduated college yet because I left school and then went back to finish when I was 26 at 20, in 2008. So uh, I, um, I've um, i been in education now since 2008, and I'm assuming this is where you want me to go, right? Like yes, get into- yes. So um, but I always knew I would be a teacher. Um, be a teacher made by Michael Jackson, because, you know, going up to the 80s, Michael Jackson was kind of it. So I, we all, I mean, this is Michael Jackson. To this day, I still love Michael Jackson. But, yeah. you know, those, those were my goals. And I always wanted to be a teacher. I always knew I would be a teacher. And even when I was in college, I remember Miss um, Wallace, because I've always loved clothes. So I would be on point. Like, I love to dress. So <laughs> yes, Miss Wallace was like, I see you going into business. And I was like, no, I really want to be a teacher. And I think because, of course, teachers don't make a lot, especially in North Carolina. Right. That is why she was trying to persuade me to consider, I guess, and I just, my, my how I carried myself and I dressed, I looked more professional or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe more than what you would think a teacher um, would would look like or whatever. But still, I just, I always knew. And I never even knew what teachers made, you yeah. know. Of yeah. course, I heard the comments, but I never knew because I didn't care. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I started teaching um, English in 2008, and since then I've had a variety of roles. From I actually am dual certified, so I have always been able to either teach history or English. And I always taught English until I got to West Charlotte High School, and that is when I started teaching history courses, or actually a history was considered an elective because I was able to teach African American studies, which I loved. Yeah. So I did that there, and at West Charlotte. Um, I was there for six or seven years. I taught his, the African American Studies class, but I also had AVID, which is um, an acronym, Advancement via Individual Determination. AVID's been around over 30 years, but it started out in California. It is a college, it, people always say it's college, a college preparatory or college readiness program. And it is, like that is the essence of AVID, but AVID really is just, they, AVID seeks to identify students who are, who potentially will be the first in their family to go to college mm-hmm. and really 
put supports in place. There's a system and it starts in kindergarten, actually. So it's a system to really support and groom those students so that they will be successful when they go to college. Wow. So that's what AVID is. And I had that certification from when I was in Hickory Public Schools. So I had that. And that is really why uh, Project Lift, which was a, a, a $55 million grant that the West Feeder Schools of Charlotte received, they they recruited teachers. And with that recruitment and from that funding, they gave bonuses and different stipends and incentives for teachers to improve, you know, um, student learning outcomes. So I was recruited. And when we knew we were going to leave Hickory, I knew I wanted to be in a, a school with black children. And West Charlotte, if you're from here or you know West Charlotte, it is, you know, it is like a HBCU, but it's a HBHS is what I call a sort of high school because 89.9 percent, I would say it looked like 99 percent, but the majority of students were black. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of faculty were black when I got there. And that did, those numbers changed a little bit. But that is where I wanted to be because I had never really taught kids that look like me in abundance. Like I had always taught in schools where I was the only black certified staff and I always taught white students, I would have a, one or two black students, but I wanted to be at a black school. So I was excited. Yeah. West Charlotte High School. And I love I will say I loved it. But at that school, I really was able to, to find myself not only as an educator, but as a, as an educational leader, because I never really said I wanted to go into administration. It was really my colleagues who said, you know, you, you are good with adults. And I knew I was good at my job, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm, the, the, the kids are easy. Like the adults are the ones who are difficult. I never really wanted to work or manage adults because right. I like being in my classroom, but they were like, no, you're really good. <laughs> and I think that just speaks to my work ethic. Um, I, I do. I work hard. Um, I'm a team player and I'm by the book. Like mm-hmm. I'm no nonsense. And I mean, just ethically, we, we have to be ethical at all times. Yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm organized and when I'm, when I'm, I'm really goofy and silly, like I am, but when I'm at work, I'm a totally different person because I take my job very seriously because we're talking about educating our youth. And that is something that I don't play with. It's a very serious, important job. And right. I'm honored to be able to do it. And I don't play with it because I know how much education can change people's lives because it has changed mine. Me traveling is because, you know, I, I went to college and, and when I played sports, that came from school and being able to play. Well, so school really has a huge and education has a huge part of who I am. So again, I take my job very seriously. So now I have been able to, um, serve in, in leadership, educational leadership for the past few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, my role is director of equity inclusion at, at a midside district and midside district in, in North Carolina. So it is a job that I wanted. I just transitioned into this role in summer. Um, I saw it posted last May, April, March, March or April. And I was fine when I was doing it. at the time I was in, um, another County in North Carolina, Cabarrus County. And I served as a project director for a federal government grant, $3 million mm-hmm. grant. And I was a manager of the, the funding and the grant coordinator. So I was fine. And the grant had like another year left, but this job popped up and I was like, hmm, this looks interesting because I wanted to be, my dream job is to be a director of diversity, equity, inclusion. So when I saw this, I was like, this is Rowan County. This is interesting. And I didn't know a lot about Rowan. So uh-huh. I actually had to research the district to see should I be here? You know, could, could I work here? Could I work with these people? I wanted to learn about it. And once I felt comfortable with pursuing it, I did. And I got hired. And then exactly explain what would, what is that position when you say equity inclusion? So, um, 
April Coon, who is a trained attorney, actually, she was, she hired me. She is the assistant. She was the assistant superintendent of advancement. Mm-hmm. So she created this position. April's a black woman and she, she created this position. And she, I remember her telling me how they were trying to decide if it was a specialist, if it was a coordinator. And I, no, they decided on director because a lot of what, not a lot, but basically what I am doing and what falls under my job description as it was on the paper um, just compliance issues in regards to the ins and outs of um, funding, making sure funding is equitable for, for all the learners and dispersed appropriately and equitably amongst the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, recruitment and retention for educators of color, black educators um, that we could recruit and obtain to come into the district. Which is very sure, important. Very, very important. Um, making sure that curriculum is reflective of all cultures, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all students. I also support HR um, with any type of issues or incidents where there may be prejudice, racism, discrimination um, that happens. Uh, and ultimately, overall, I, I am there to call out inequities mm-hmm. um, and equality because they are different. Yeah. And I am making sure that everything that they do is not only representative of every child, but also inclusive of every child and that no one is excluded and that there is a space of belonging because ultimately, you know, we can teach kids all day. But if we don't see the kids for who they are, right. you know, they're not going to take any, anything away from it. Right. So that is what I do. Well, I love it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so almost, I'm I'm almost overwhelmed because I'm just so excited because everything that you're doing is necessary. Like we have, especially for our children, um, it's necessary because as we were children, like we were talking about, we, I could name three black staff or, or certified staff. Yeah. That I saw. They were always the custodians, you know, because even my aunt and uncle were custodians at Ford for a very long time. So Certified teachers, like actual teachers. Yes. I so we said Miss Johnson, who was a librarian at Ban Oak, mm-hmm. and Miss Young, and Miss Young taught first grade, mm-hmm. and then you said Miss Harshaw when you got to high school, and I never had Miss Harshaw. Right, I think so, she, and I can't remember what she taught. It might have been language or history or but, American lit. But I heard about her because our parents had her, and everybody talked about how mean she was. So I was glad she was gone when I got to Ford because I because I heard she was mean anyway. <laughs> I wish she was a mean black lady. I didn't want no mean black lady. <laughs> I'm glad you go. I ain't gonna lie. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> but think about that. Over three schools, we only can name three teachers, and none of those were male. Did you have any black? Um, did you have any black professors or anything at Gardner Webb? I personally didn't have any, but there were some. And it was like one black man, and I can't even remember his name. And he was from, I think he was from like Africa or somewhere like that. Like he wasn't from the United States. But that yeah. was the only black man, black professor that I can think of. I don't think there were any black And listen, you said, you said one. One. <laughs> at, at, at a university. One. <laughs> and in that that's what I can think of. So, yeah, this is over my entire educational career. I can think of... Four yeah. and only one, and one of them didn't even teach me. 
I never had, I have never had a black teacher until this summer in my program at Western because I am um, pursuing my doctor, doctor of education degree. Come on, um, doctor. And I, I, I talked about I talked about that a little bit, but I have not had one. And we're talking about elementary. I've never been taught. Now, were they in the building? Some, mm-hmm. but still one, two, never more than three. Right. So we're talking about elementary school, middle school, high school, mm-hmm. undergrad, mm-hmm. graduate school, and now in a doctoral program for the first time ever have I had. Black professors, and there are three. Um, and still, I've only attended predominantly white institutions, PWIs. Yes, but that says something. So I can definitely speak to the that that in itself. And then, just briefly, with my doctorate, um, it, it's about continuing my learning because what I understood because it was the time I wanted to leave education because I started realizing, hey, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wait mm-hmm. a minute, you know, I worked really hard. Is this is this equitable? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I work really hard, lesson planning. Right. And ultimately, it's a, it's not easy. I love it. I do it because I love it. And it was never about the money, but I also have a family. That's right. And I also like nice things. I want to be able to travel and expose my kids to those things. And children are not cheap. No. <laughs> Traveling is not cheap. The things that I enjoy doing, you know, or I want to expose my kids to, that stuff costs money. So it just really came to a point like, well, what am I going to do? Like, what can I do? What are my options? And that is why I, I didn't want to go to grad school for a long time, mainly because I didn't I didn't want to pay for it. Right. Because <laughs> you like, got to eat. We, can we afford this? Yes. So once I finally realized that we talked about it, it was like, well, if I'm going in for one in education, they don't want to pay you for nothing. But in order to get opportunities in other positions, you have to be degreed up now. That's right. Now, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so y'all want us to have all of these degrees, but y'all ain't trying to pay for any of this stuff. Yeah. So I knew for me to advance, I had to go back to school and I had to get my master's. And then from there, I realized certain districts, for example, at the time I was in CMS, in order to be a director, I had to have an administration license. And I, I one time I thought I wanted to be a principal. And I was like, no, that's not really for me because mm-hmm. there are things principals do. And I'm like, that really isn't aligned to what my professional goals are. Like, right. so that's not for me, but I need this license because if I have this license, then I can be able to do this. But as I'm doing all of that, I'm realizing like, I really love this and I'm learning so much and the impact that you have as a leader and mm-hmm. the influence and like the way that you can really be even more so intentional. Cause now I'm going from impacting these lives in this classroom to impacting the whole school. Yeah. Or to impacting now, I support 35 schools in my district because that's how many schools we have in our district. So as the director of this, I am holding folks accountable, yeah. accountable, pulling them in and saying, well, this is what you're going to do. Because if we look at these numbers and I'm going to give you an example. Mm-hmm. Last week, um, I, I started an initiative called Equity Watch in December and I break it's basically an infographic. And I can give you an example of one, like if you want to just post it on the on your page just so people kind of see what I'm talking about. Yeah. And that's just completely optional. But basically, I talk about our directional system and the three things that we criteria, academic, interpersonal and life learning. That is what we're saying. We will provide every learner in our district. So I talk about that and then I talk about I give some data. And last week, I talked about the academically and intellectually gifted data or AIG data within our district. So we have about 18,000 students. Mm-hmm. Out of those 18,000 students, we have 3,326 students who are black. Out of those 3,326 black students, there are only 86 students, 86 who are enrolled in advanced 
total courses. And this is out so, of 18,000 total? 18,000 total. Well, no, only 3,000 are black. I know, but, but I'm saying out of 18,000 all as a whole, only how many are in, how many black students are in the AIG program? 86. Wow. But only out of the 18,000, only 3,300 are black. So really it's that 3,326. 3, but out of that 3,326, still, you only found 86 that you think are capable of doing the work, of having adva- advanced academic courses. Okay. So out of that 18,000, there are, I don't remember how many white students there are. That's a, like, that's a, that's a crazy low it's a number. number. Because then you go to the white students, but out of the, out of the white students total, um, there are a thousand of them though, who are in AIG. <laughs> So the definition I shared is about disproportionality. And right. that is specifically, like, these things are not balanced. So I'm putting that information out there. That is not new information. It's been there. But again, part of my job is to, okay, so I'm here. I'm going to print this report. And I'm going to share this information. So you all can see how crazy this looks. Right. This looks absolutely crazy. And so another example of something I did this summer, um, there were from the start of school from July to November, out of 218 hired teachers, only four were Latinx or Hispanic. Only four. So y'all only found four Latinx Qualified. people. So th- is, this, is this something, like, is there a standard that that everybody's presented with and they're saying, this is, these are the qualifications, this is what we have to choose? So are, like a, are you saying that there's a, is there like a quota or? Not a quota, but maybe like a standard when they're looking for qualified candidates. Is there a standard that they say, okay, she has A, B, C, D. Because if you if you go off of a standard, you're looking at what the person can do, not... The standard is they don't hire educators. <laughs> That's, they're not looking for us. That wow. is the that's, that's the truth. And, and they don't you know, know it. Do they not know this? Like, is this something okay, that they've so done so that's much? That's the question I asked. That's the question I asked because, like, in Cabarrus County, I was the only district leader that was black. Mm-hmm. There was a black assistant um, and there was a black lady that did exceptional children, but she was a coordinator. So when it came to directors, I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And I managed, again, I was managing a grant. So I wasn't over like high, I wasn't over like the high schools, elementary schools or anything. So I had, I think I had 12 of the empowered schools. Mm-hmm. And I was the only one. And there was, there's a, there's a, there's, there's, it's it been the, it is, it has been this way for so long that it's just something that I, I don't, I'm not, I've been trained to believe and to not assume ill intent, right? right so I, I right. just believe that because things are traditions and because things have always been this way, it's just out of sight, out of mind. Like, so they're just doing it, not even realizing. Everybody, everybody looks like me, and okay. That's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, and this is how it's always been. Because, you know, when we think about that, it's even for women, you yeah. know, like there's always so many men in leadership. And so we're not even talking about just like gender wise, you know, education. It was created for white boys. Yeah, it was. And so we're talking about a system because, you know, this goes back to that doctoral trend. I'm getting it for a reason. I'm reading. I'm learning. Yes. So I talk about these systems and, you know, I don't want to be too heavy. So just stop me. But I just want to briefly talk about. So the, the system was created, not created for people of color at all. 
Right. Remember, it was illegal to educate black people yes. at one point. Yes. Or any indigenous people. Anybody who was not white, it was illegal. Right. So the system was created for white males to be successful. Mm-hmm. So then the girls were able to get in school. You know what I'm saying? So eventually, finally. So so even when you talk about so that system is still we are still we have inherited a system that was for white men. So we are still operating within that system. So now here I that's why we're miracles to get through what we went like to to matriculate through elementary, middle, high school, then college and be college graduates. Because I'm a first generation. You're a first generation because our parents didn't go to college. Right. But to be first generation college graduates, like we are miracles because we were able to navigate a system that was not created for us to even be there. <laughs> and any aspect of us, female and black. Yes. Yes. So we have that intersectionality. So we're doubly oppressed because yeah. we are not only women, but we are black women. Yeah. And, and I don't want to get too deep because no, I can do but, this all day. So but I, no I, I often say, <laughs> um, it was brought to my attention and I, I really had to think about this. When we think about the United States and the Constitution, it was there was there's only one group of people in the United States that there's not an amendment for in the Constitution, and that's mm-hmm. white men. Mm-hmm. Everything else has an amendment because everything else was not even supposed to happen. So it was literally created, like you said, the system, not just educational, but like our country was created for white men to be successful. Yep. Yep. So that's that's like real life. That's like what what we really have to deal with. So your role in the educational system is super important, not only for the children that you are impacting, but it's also important for the people that you are um, helping to lead your colleagues. colleagues, Yes. Because they don't even realize. No, they don't have the lens at all. And I don't want to, and what I will say is like, I don't want to be a black woman talking about black problems. Or, you know, I don't want to be a black woman talking about these these problems and how we have to be equitable and racially, you know, aware and all. But what we have to be. And, yeah. and I mean it because it is my experience. Because what I will say is, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, I was always the only black girl in my grade level at Van Oak. Yep. You know, because um, Mandy was there, our cousin Mandy Blackburn, but then they moved to Mountain View. So it was really me in our grade level every year, the only black child. So And I only had a few. I might have had like two. Me and maybe one or two other people and a couple boys. Maybe. Was Kiana Walker? Yes. yes. So that was probably your classmate. Yep. And then, you know, they were all, we were sprinkled in. But in my grade level, it was just me every year at Van Oak. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I have a lot of memories of things that I, I didn't realize then. But mm-hmm. now I know and understand that, oh, they were definitely forms of racism and prejudice. You know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. And forms of discrimination. Yeah. But I know that. I didn't know that as a child, you know, because those were the white norms. Right. And I was navigating that because I had to, because no one was trying to be culturally competent to understand my culture, where I come from, and how this may affect my behaviors here at school. Because I give this example, and to this day, I give this example. I just talked about this yesterday, and mm-hmm. I want to share it because I remember first grade, I had Miss Rains and Miss Fulbright, who my mama ran into Miss Fulbright recently. So it was funny because Miss <laughs> Fulbright was the one who said this to me. And all my teachers have fond memories of me, right? Like, yeah. I mean, as does yours because we were good kids. Yeah. But for example, first grade, I remember being in the front row because I was an excessive talker and not because I, I mean, I'm a talker, obviously. I'm sure everybody would see that, but... <laughs> I was too, no matter where they moved me, I I talked to everybody. I was identified as gifted, right? Yes. But I was bored. I was not being taught. So I would finish work. And I know you did. I would Mm -hmm. finish my work in class. 
And I'm sitting there. So I would start talking to my neighbor who ain't finished, but that's not my problem. I'm done. So I just need somebody to talk to. I read every book. And we're talking about a seven-year-old too, right? I'm seven. So this is a seven-year-old. So think about a seven-year-old child. So what is a seven-year-old child going to do? I'm going to talk. Yeah. So because of that, I'm in the front row. (laughs) Not because I'm bad, but because I talk. Not because you can't see. (laughs) Exactly. And let's go back to the fact, as an educator, now I truly understand, well, you know, you meet the child. Like, if she is bright, if she is gifted, you have to challenge her. So right. she's not, we do. We know that now. So Ms. Williams was writing all these sentences on the board. And that day, and I remember so vividly, oh, I remember like, what's she writing on? I'm thinking to myself, like, that's a lot of sentences. I bet she ain't gonna have me doing all this work. So I said out loud, this one came out my mouth. I said, good God almighty, that's a lot of sentences. <laughs> Sandra, Sandra Farley. It's not on my. And you know, we grew up in the church, so don't take the Lord. I know my commandments. Don't take the Lord. I know all, but good God Almighty was a cultural term that I heard in my home. Exactly. My family used it. My grandma, mama. You know what I'm saying? Like that is something I heard. Yeah. And nobody ever told me not to say it. I never got reprimanded for it. I was never corrected in my community. So it's okay. So I say that. Like it's cool. Miss Fulbright turned to me and said, Cassandra. If my child would have said that, I'd wash their mouth out with soap. Oh, my. And I remember being stunned. First of all, I was confused as hell. Because I'm just like, well, what did I say? And I'm sitting there really thinking, like, well, what? I think I just said good God. Right. It's like, <laughs> so I didn't I'm confused. Cuss. Yeah. I'm like, what did I say? I didn't say. I'm totally confused. But then at the same time, I'm not a bad child. So I'm concerned, like, oh, my God, my teacher thinks I'm bad now. So right. this is a seven-year-old, though. So those are my those are my thoughts at seven. And that is just an example of how culturally, so now we have these little black boys, because let's, let's be very clear. Education is, is the majority of educators are middle-aged white women. That mm-hmm. is just, that's the statistic. That's the fact. Yeah. So we have these black boys in these classrooms with these women, of course, who don't understand them, who aren't trying to understand them. And not all, but I'm just saying what I see and what I've observed. And I've been doing it for a while. So this is how it is. Right. This is the reality of it. Right. And this is not just in rural North Carolina. This is across our nation. It's everywhere. You can look at the data. You can look at the behavioral data and the number of black males that are suspended that have um, not just ISS, OSS, expelled due to behaviors. But it's all because of misunderstanding with cultures. Just like the example I told you, I was not a bad kid. Right. But if I didn't have the the support at home or anybody to advocate for me, I very well could have been a bad kid. And I very well could have maybe one day have been a dropout because I'm making good grades, but I talk excessive talking is what my conduct would say. Mm-hmm. So when we have these, these little black boys in classes, who's coming from these cultural, you know, black homes, yeah. who knows what all they're experiencing and they get in the classroom and they're, they may be a little angry or they may have these behaviors that you don't recognize, or they may say something that is culturally acceptable. They're getting in trouble for it, which is not okay. Right. So that is why we have to be culturally competent. That is why it's the adults we have to fix, not the kid, the children. Exactly. Because the children are doing either what they see or what they're taught is okay. And it that is why as educators, we have to educate. <laughs> we don't just dismiss or co- even correcting sometimes can be offensive because all Ms. Fulbright had to say was, you know, Cassandra, like maybe you want to try to use, you know, maybe you shouldn't say that or what, did you hear that? Or just ask me some questions, but watch my mouth. That was so, I was like, I was like, oh my, what did I say? And, and still fact- to this day, I didn't really figure it out until later. Like, oh, you know, and because I don't even, I don't remember if I told, I think I did tell my mama, but mama didn't think anything of it at the time because as long as they didn't touch me, as long as they right. didn't say nothing, they didn't call her, just go back to school the next day, you know, because right. she didn't have a problem with showing up. 
But I do remember her finally in one of my conferences, she had to say to them, like, you keep like this girl makes straight A's. She mm-hmm. gets a book every week because she's reading every book that you put in front of her. Like, have yeah. you considered that she just needs to be challenged? Yeah. She's talking because she's bored. But it took my mama saying that. Because they didn't even think about it because it was just a behavior to them. It wasn't a lack of what they were doing. Egg. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. So that's where we that's why your role and your I'm talking about your role as an educator, as a director. It needs to be like a million of you because we need people. Well, there's only 18 in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and we have 113 counties. So let that number sink in also. And we need it all over the United States because people need someone to say, hey, I don't think you realize this, but this is what's happening. And this is right. how we need to change it so that everything can be better and our kids can progress. Yes. Because so I don't think they, to do. <laughs> they don't want to not progress. Like children want to succeed. They want to please yes. their families, their teachers. They want to be a success because that's what we see. Um, we we, we um, aspire to be um, a success. But if they aren't given the right opportunity because right. who's teaching the, the people who are teaching them don't know any better then we're already setting them up not to be successful in their right. own right. And we're killing dreams. Yeah. And remember when we started our conversation about the power of believing in kids, because I've had kids who've had sucky homes. So let's be clear. There are some sucky parents as well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> let's be clear about that. Yeah. Um, and as an educator, I'm not putting it all on teachers, but you know, but still I've had kids who completely changed their lives mm-hmm. because I believed in them. Me. Yeah. So that's how much that's how much influence and impact you can have. Just because I believe in them. And I said, you can go to college. Yeah, <laughs> you can. If you want to, you can have a future. You can just because someone before you did not or you come from this doesn't mean you you absolutely can. Because I'm get, I taught high school, so I'm getting them real late in the game. I'm getting them right. down to like we got four years left. Right. But still, they believed in me so much because I believed in them. That's that is it. how we were able to be successful together. Because let me tell you, I learned from, more from the kids that I taught than I have from any book that I've read because that is, I was able, I've been able to see real life through mm-hmm. their eyes. Because mm-hmm. even like, even being black in Winter West Charlotte, I loved it. And look, I was scared as hell that first day because honestly, I've never seen so many black people. <laughs> right. And I know that sounds but, crazy to say, but I'm for real. Like, I'll be like, oh, there's, there's a lot of black people there here. There so many black kids and like uh, just a sea of black youth. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. What does so, this feel like? <laughs> it was, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. And then West Charlotte has a little reputation, you know, hood, bad kid. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. But it was the most amazing experience. And I never had issues because I loved what I did and I love my students and right. they knew that and I invested in them. Mm-hmm. That's but important. I, I, it, it, it is. And so you, when I say like, I, I, and that, that is a, that urban black child. I've never seen that. Again, we come from small towns, Hickory, Vale, you know, rural, and then you get to the city of Hickory, which is still, you know, it's, it's a town. It's a city, but still, you know, right. and then you get to urban black. I had never urban black kids. So their struggles, I was not familiar with because even, like I said, even though we grew up in the country, I don't know lights being off. No, I don't know water being off. I don't know people not having food, but I, saw that through these kids. I, I saw real life. Like having girls say, Miss Martin, I want to go home with you this weekend because my mama said I got to get out because her boyfriend's coming up. Like things like, I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? So somebody not caring for their child, want to care for their child, like just safety. Like 
a child who had to come take showers in, in, in the gym because their water was off at home. Like, you know, kids who had to leave school early to take care of siblings. Like, I saw that through their eyes because I knew nothing of that. Right. I knew nothing. Right. I had never seen it experienced until I got to West Charlotte. And these and are not people like that because we had wealthy, affluent but black families who were attorneys and doctors as well. Right. And we also had the poor of the poor. You know what I'm saying? Because the black people who typically were affluent who sent their kids to West Charlotte were because they were HBCU graduates and they wanted their kids to go to black school. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, so, I think that's important to know that these are children and I don't think everybody realizes they're doing things that adults do. All the time. More adulting than I was at that time. Because I didn't, we never had to have a job. No. We had cars in high school. Yeah. And our gas was taken care of, our insurance. And those are things that I didn't know. I thought parents did that. No, yeah. not all parents do that. No. <laughs> or can't afford to. Like, there are kids who had to work to help pay bills at the house. And they're, they're, they're children that don't even have the faculties to process some of the things that they're having to take on. Exactly. 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 So education really is hard work for me. It it really is. It flows from the depths of my heart. And you can tell like the passion that you, I like, I I feel it, I hear it. And I just keep saying it's necessary because it is necessary. I think that, that people, the, the way we are now with everything that's going on in life, people have lost that passion. Like teachers have lost that passion and patience. Because really, it's like I'm just trying to survive, too. Like a teacher, teachers are to the point where I got a family. I'm trying to make it to I I used to love what I did. Now I'm coming to school, making sure that my my class has X amount of percentage so that I can get that bonus because I need it to live. Yeah. Like that's the reality of it. There are teachers who have extra jobs because, you know, and and, and in I think North Carolina is maybe fourth from the bottom. And let me say, as I moved up, I'm doing well now, but I had to go back to school. You know what I'm saying? Like in order to get the salary that I have now. It took work. But still, teachers are not paid enough. And now that this pen, we have a whole year of that will be lost. People may not want to accept it, but... Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lost year for your child. So yeah. just, just accept that. But it really is about their mental health this this year and their social emotional well being because it is a challenge for everybody and it's not fair to anyone. And educators are really are doing all they can, but there's only so much that we can do. So parents are doing a lot of lifting because you yourself talk about how I'm not sure my kids got stuff together. You and I are trained educators, so I think parents probably have seen how challenges it challenging it is to be a teacher yes. and just think you're home with one of two i had 30 35 kids in my class at one time and, and I, we're talking I, about i don't understand it. multiple personalities and that's the thing that now teachers not like i think about miss Reigns and everybody going to sit and get but now teachers are expected to differentiate which means they want us teaching every learning style which that we should mm-hmm. but that gets a lot of work so but i got 35 people in here it's and almost like impossible people. I got 35 people and I only got 28 desks. And I I only have five books. Wow. And and only 15 of my laptops actually work every day. You know what I'm saying? So that, that is some of the things that I experienced at West Charlotte and going back to equitable resources, things were not dispersed within, you know, that district because you would go to a school uh, in Huntersville, Cornelius on the affluent side. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of Puff. They have this, state-of-the-art soccer field. They got two gyms. And then at West Charlotte, we had a, a roach infestation. <laughs> in the school. In the in school. The wow. The so I'm just saying, so that is why we have to be equitable. It's just, and, and, and even if we go back to, you know, integration. Yeah. 
it was about resources. We wanted, we don't want the hand-me-down books. Y'all get new books, we want new books. Right. It's the same thing today. Like, we just want equal resources also. Not only the equal opportunities, but equal resources. And and you, <laughs> when you put it that way, it's like, why is that so difficult? But it is probably one of the hardest things ever to Because get. we want to do that. Now, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, we have to go back to the foundation. Yeah. This was not created for for girls, <laughs> so women. It definitely was created for people of color, black people, indigenous people. Right. You know, so, so whoa, now y'all want some new books? Now, wait now wait a minute. We already got you here. <laughs> We're teaching y'all to read. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. You do it too wait much. You do it too much. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> You just learned your ABCs last week. Now, come on. You don't need a whole book. You, book. you can get a couple pages. You don't need a whole book. Let me copy it off for you and then give it to you. You don't need the now, entire book. <laughs> oh, my God. But this is this is America. So here this we go. <laughs> and you know what? It's not a pretty history, but the reality is, like, I've never been upset about being American. You know, like, I right. love, and I wrote about this because we, we had to do these critical autobiographies. And in mine, I just tell the story about being a Black mother raising Black kids in the South. And the reality is, like, I love being from America. I realize that there are so many freedoms that I do have right. that other, you know, other countries or, or citizens in other countries do not have. So I appreciate it very much. I'm grateful. I'm glad to be here even. I just don't feel that same type of love thrown back at me. And right. that's the problem. Because yeah. I'm not from anywhere else. I was born at Glen R. Fry Hospital in Hickory, North Carolina. In Shout Kentucky. out to Glen R. Fry. I was too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm not from anywhere else. And I can't, I don't know who it was that made the trip because there were no records of that person. I would, you know, and that is why, I mean, that would be real. Like, I don't know who got here. I'm grateful for them. And that was a bad mother. You know what? Because to make that trip to the middle passage, <laughs> come on now. Come on. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you laughing, but I'm serious. It's for real. It's real. <laughs> <laughs>